There we go. Is it working now? It's green, Paul. Oh, there it is. I'm an amateur at this. Y'all know that. But here I am. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. I know we've got visitors among us this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I am not the regular minister. You may struggle to even call me a preacher <laughs> from the college group. Good to see. We've got a good college group over here. We've got several kids, and we love them to death, and uh, they are a real source of encouragement. And I would, I would encourage you, if you haven't met these kids, you need to meet these kids. They're from all over. They come to us from Tennessee, from all over the state of Arkansas, from Missouri. And these are a good bunch of kids. They're not perfect, but they're good kids. And they're a real source of encouragement to me. And I appreciate those that work so diligently with them. Ryan and Casey, Matt, Carla, Mitchell, and Lori, and Kim helps. And the things that we do, we do because we love these kids. And they're such a source of encouragement to me. I was in class a while ago. One of the girls says, so do you get nervous before you get up there? And I said, well, I'm not nervous because I'm standing in front of people. I'm nervous because I'm not always sure that I can convey to you the things I want to convey the way I want to say it. And I know what I'm saying, but are you hearing what I'm saying? Am I making myself clear? I said, I just don't want to get up there and ramble for 30 minutes. To which one, won't single her out, Aaron, but she says, oh, we're used to you rambling. Just keep it short. <laughs> so, okay, we'll, we'll work on that. Ryan asked me to remind everyone that November the 9th, we're having a ladies' day here at the church, and this is something that's primarily just for the ladies here. If you have friends you want to invite, that's great, but it's something that's going to be really good. There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer on that table, and if you plan on attending that ladies' day, would you please sign up? Uh, they have things that they'll be passing out, and also they'll be preparing a meal, and they're looking for a good idea as to how many folks will be here for that day. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Luke chapter 22. That will be the lesson that we take this morning. That's the text for our lessons. I heard a story one time about a brilliant scientist that he, he made these speeches. He would go out, he would travel, he, and people would book him to come in and make these wonderful and great speeches. And he had his chauffeur that drove him everywhere he went. And for years... This professor would go in and he would give his speech and the people would ask him the same questions and he'd give them the same answers and he would collect his big paycheck and his chauffeur would drive him off and then tomorrow they would go somewhere else and he would give the same speech and it was the same questions and it was the same answers and they would get in the car and they would drive off. And after several years of this, they're driving down the road one day and the, the chauffeur looks at him and says, you know, I have heard you give that speech so many times, and the questions are always exactly the same. I could stand up there, and I could give that speech, and I could get that big paycheck, and you could get the little paycheck for being the chauffeur. I can do the same thing you do. So the professor said, the next time that I speak, we're going to let you do that. I'm going to dress up like the chauffeur, you can dress up like me, and you can give my speech. So that's what they did, and the chauffeur, dressed as the professor, steps up and he gives this speech word for word just like the professor. The question starts coming in. It's the same questions that they always get. And he answers them just like the professor. 
And then this one guy stands up, and he asks this really deep theological question. The man pauses for a second, and he looks at him. He says, really? You're going to ask me that? That is the question that you're posing to me? That question is so simple, I'm going to let my chauffeur in the back answer that. <laughs> Spencer stands up here and makes this look easy. Uh, it's a little more challenging. He does a fine job, and we're happy to have him here. But it's a little bit harder than what he makes it look. There's all kinds of memes out there in social media land. The parent fails. I love these. I saw one the other day. A guy's holding up his baby in this arm. He's holding his kid by the hand here, a little older one. But he's standing at the edge of the ocean, and the surf is coming in. And just as the camera snaps, the father and this child are smiling big. This child's hanging down here with his head under the water just as the wave hits. The caption above the top of it says, and they say there ain't no favorite children, <laughs> you know. There's failures all around us. And Luke chapter 22, we're going to look today at two particular men who have some big failures in their life. We're going to start with the one named Judas. These two men, Judas and Peter, have two epic failures in their life in this one chapter. I want you to understand that this chapter is written, it's written between Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper and the arrest and the trial that begins with him. That's the timeline that both of these men, both of these men, produce such a failure in their lives. Luke chapter 22, read with me verses, verses 3 through 6 in Luke chapter 22. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way, conferred with the chief priests and the captains how they might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Last week, Spencer talked to us about there in Matthew how the alabaster box of precious ointment had been broken and put upon Jesus. John tells us that the disciples complained, why wasn't this sold to the money given to the poor? When you read that, it says that immediately after that, Judas went out and met with the high priest and the rulers and discussed how he might betray him. Do you ever ask your question, why would Judas do such a thing as this? Who was Judas? Think about this. Who was Judas? Judas was the man we know by reading in, in Acts chapter 1 after his death when Peter says we've got to get a replacement for Judas and it needs to be somebody that has been with us from the baptism of John until now. Judas had been a follower of Christ from his baptism in the Jordan River up until the night that he betrayed him. Judas had witnessed all of the sermons. Judas had witnessed the miracles. Judas had all that private time when Jesus would sit down and just discuss things with his disciples. 
Judas had the ear of Jesus that he could talk to him and ask him questions and get answers back directly from the Son of God. What possessed Judas to go out here and to betray Jesus? What in the world is he thinking? Judas had something in his heart, and he had a motive, and he had a plan. I believe that Judas was never intending upon Jesus being crucified. I don't think that was Judas's intent. We know when we read Acts chapter 1 that even after Christ has been crucified and resurrected and he's spent over 40 days with them and he's ready to ascend back to heaven, Scripture tells us that they're looking at him saying, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? They still didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 in verses 3 through 5. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. You see what he's done? It didn't go like he had it planned. I'm going to betray Jesus. I'm going to give him to the high priest. And I don't know what was in Judas's mind or what was in his heart, but Judas had a plan. He's going to spur Jesus to action. He's going to do something. There's something going to happen here that Judas was wanting to happen. That was his thought. Because when they left the high priest's house and had a sentence of condemnation to Jesus, Judas says, I've messed up. He goes back. He throws the money down. He says, he's innocent. And they said, we don't care. We've got what we wanted. Judas takes his failure, and he goes out, and he hangs himself. He lets his failure identify him <clears throat> in every way. When someone says the name of Judas today, what do you think of? He's the one that betrayed Jesus. You can't tell me hardly anything else about Judas other than he's the one that betrayed Jesus. His failure identifies him throughout eternity. Because that's who he is to us. Judas couldn't overcome his failure. He goes down and he hangs himself. I don't care what your failure is in life. You can get past it. You can move on. Nothing that you have done, nothing that you have said, no no failure in your faith is so great and so grand that you can't come back to Jesus. In this same chapter, we've got another apostle. A man who had been there from the beginning. The baptism at the Jordan River. <coughs> Excuse me. Peter. Who was Peter. Peter was proud and loud. Peter, Peter was the one that was going to jump up and get stuff done. Peter was the one that was ready for a fight. 
In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And he's come to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus says, Satan's going to get you, Peter. You're going to fail in your actions, but don't let that ruin your faith. You see the power of that statement? You're going to fail in your actions, but don't let it ruin your faith. Move past this. Be strong enough, Peter, to move past this. Zach read for us a while ago where after Judas has come into the garden and betrayed Jesus, and Jesus is led away, Peter denies Jesus three times. I've always thought of Peter as a bit of a coward. He bowed down in the face of of struggles. He wimped out. He didn't do what he was supposed to be doing. He was a great, strong man until somebody looked at him and said, you're one of them. He says, no, it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. But before we write Peter off as being some kind of a weak coward, think about the garden. Here in Luke 22, when Jesus says, Satan's going to sift you as wheat, don't lose your faith. Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That sounds good. I'm ready to go with you, Jesus. I don't care what's happening. I'm staying with you. And very few hours later, he's betrayed Jesus three times. But think about Peter. Peter in the garden, when Judas brought the mob and kissed Jesus and betrayed him, Peter was the one who whoops down his sword and takes a swing at a man. And he cuts off a right ear. Either he was superior with a sword or he missed his target. I think he was aiming more for the center of the head than the ear. Jesus takes, puts the man's ear back on, miraculously heals it and tells Peter to put up your sword. Nobody else was there to defend Jesus physically. Peter's the only one that pulled a sword. Nobody else did. He didn't just pull it and hold it. He swung it. Jesus is led to the house of the high priest, and Peter's following from a distance. You say, yeah, he should have been up close. Where was the rest of them? John was there, we know. Peter was the one that followed from a distance. Peter goes into the courtyard of the house of the high priest. Think about that. The man who he cut his ear off was a servant of the high priest. His name was Malchus, John tells us. So you've cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, and now you're bold enough to go into the courtyard where the trial is being held. There's a group of people in that courtyard. Do you think they were supporters of Jesus? Or were they some of the mob that helped arrest him? I believe they were some of that mob. And Peter is standing around the fire with the enemies. 
Peter's standing around the fire with those that want to see Jesus crucified. He's got to have a certain amount of strength and boldness to show up to be there. Peter had some kind of a plan, I believe. I've, I've read a lot about this this week, and different people suggest that Peter was ready for when Jesus stood up to fight, Peter was going to be the first one to his side. People have tried to justify the lies that Peter told because, yeah, he had to lie. He had to deny Jesus because he had a plan, you see. Jesus doesn't want us to make a plan and follow our plan. He wants us to follow his. When Peter had denied Christ for the third time in the rooster crows, Luke tells us, and Luke's the only one to record this, that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. What was in that book? Was it anger? Was it sympathy? Was it compassion? Was it disappointment? What was on the face of Jesus when he turned and he looked at his disciple who has just said, I don't know the man. I don't have anything to do with him. I'm not one of them. It was moving enough that Peter departs from Jesus at this time. And he goes down and he weeps bitterly. I've messed up. Peter has done wrong. Everything he has been telling Jesus, how strong he was going to be, the defense that he was going to give for him, all of the religious talk and the support of Jesus that he had been throwing out for three years just went down the drain in just a matter of an hour or so. That's a pretty big failure, wouldn't you say? How does something like that identify a man? Judas's failure identifies him. Peter, in his failure, Peter wept bitterly. Peter repented. Peter did not stop following Jesus just because he had a big failure. We know that when Martha, Mary and Martha come and told the disciples they've taken him, the tomb is empty. Peter and John race to the tomb. John stops at the edge. Peter goes right on end. We know that when Peter and John are fishing and the disciples are fishing and Jesus is on the seashore, Peter ain't happy just to have the boat rowed to the shore. He jumps down and swims ahead of the boat because that's where Jesus is. Peter moved past the mistake that he had to serve God. You find there in the book of Acts in chapter 1 that he's the one who stands up and says, we've got to get a replacement for Judas. In chapter 2, he preaches the first gospel sermon. In chapter 10, he's the one that takes the gospel to the Gentiles and converts Cornelius, the first Gentile convert. Peter did not stop serving God because he had this failure religiously in his life. There's a great lesson in that for us. Nobody talks about Peter when you define Peter. We talk about a lot of things, but we don't identify him solely by the mistakes that he made on the night of the arrest of Jesus. What is it that we fail from? You ever failed a class? Failed a semester, kids? You ever failed at a job? Investment failure? Business failure? Marriage failure, 
parenting failure? Do we let the failures that we have in our lives identify us? Can we let the failure that we have in our life be something that separates us from God and pulls us away because I've just been too bad? I hope you don't feel that way. I hope that what you do in life is when you make mistakes that you're willing to go back to Jesus, get on your knees and ask him to forgive you and pick up and live from that time forward as you know you should. That's what he wants for us to do. We all are going to have our failures in life, and it doesn't matter what it is. God knows we're going to have failures. God knows we're going to fail in our service to him. None of us are perfect. We try to be, but we come up short. But he wants us to love one another, to rise up every day, to do the best that we can to follow him and to trust him each and every day of our lives. Don't be defined by your failures in life. Be an overcomer like Peter. And when you overcome your failure, use your experience to support and lift up another when they're in the same situation. You're not the only one that has ever gone through the struggles and the trials and the failures that you're having. There's other people sitting in this room today that are probably having a similar situation that maybe you could encourage and support and lift them up. I challenge you today to do that. The Bible tells us of two more men that failed. There in the book of Acts in chapter 24, Paul is in prison. But he's preaching the gospel, even in prison, and he's preaching to the governor Felix and his wife Drusilla. And Drusilla was a Jew. And they knew of the Jewish law. They knew the old law. They knew the Messiah was coming. And the apostle Paul preaches to them, and he explains to them, and he tells them about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and that he is the Messiah. And the Bible tells us there in Acts chapter 24 that Felix trembles and says, go away, and when I have a convenient season, I will call for you. Peter, I hear you, or Paul, I hear you, and I know you're telling me the truth, and I believe it, but it just ain't convenient for me right now. You see, I've got too much other stuff going. I can't do this and continue what I've been doing. So I tell you what, Paul, when it becomes convenient for me, I'll call you back. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever know if Felix became a Christian or not. Scripture does not reveal that to us. Just a couple of short chapters later in Acts chapter 26, Paul is preaching to King Agrippa. And he's explaining the gospel to him, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the only way to God. And Agrippa says, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost persuaded, but not quite. It's not quite there. It's not quite enough for me. I hear you. I understand you. But I'm just not ready to do this thing. I'm just almost persuaded. You ever been almost persuaded to do something? You ever regret not doing it? Agrippa was almost persuaded. This morning, 
in your life, I hope that you don't have any big failures. I hope that your life is going wonderful. I hope all your decisions are centered on Christ and that the world is treating you good. But if you find yourself wrapped up in the failures and your disappointments and your mistakes of life, I want you to know that you can make it right with God. You can put Him on in baptism and wash away all the mistakes, all the guilt can be gone. And you can start all over again with a clean slate in serving Him and being faithful to Him. Maybe you're someone that you say, I am a Christian. And my failure is not doing as I should as a Christian. I don't study. I don't pray. My co-workers, my classmates, they don't even know I'm a Christian by my actions. I'm ashamed to tell people that. And if they heard that I was a Christian, they would look at me and say, Him? You mean He goes to church? Have you lived your life that way? Do you have failures in your life? You need forgiveness of them. You need support. You need Jesus. We at Valley View are ready to support you. We're ready to help you in anything, in any way that you can. Draw closer to Jesus and live a life that's pleasing to him. So you can spend eternity in heaven. If we can assist you in any way, would you come as we stand and sing? Create in me a clean heart.